When Podmatch connected me with Vernon, I was really excited because what Vernon has to share is so incredibly important to the healing of so many. And it actually is a good companion episode to many of the other episodes, including Marty's episode on recovery and Miriam's episode on walking with people through hard things. Because Vernon shares his story of not just wrestling with addiction, but what it looks like to have a lifetime of recovery. And in this conversation, we hit the reality that a lot of people can mean well and can actually cause harm as they are seeking to help someone wrestling with addiction. This episode is particularly important to me because there's a lot of people in my life who wrestle with addiction. People that I care about, people that have relapsed, people that have been in recovery. And it is important for me, for them to not just find healing, but for them to be loved in the midst. And I've heard stories of that not happening. And I've heard stories of how sometimes well-meaning people have actually unintentionally kept healing at bay. So I wanna encourage you to listen to this, especially if you have strong feelings about people who wrestle with addiction. Because I feel like hearing Vernon's story, hearing Vernon's voice, helps us to recognize the humanity, the image of God in others, no matter what their situations are. You're listening to episode 90 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you that you are God even over technological issues that both Vernon and I know sometimes when things seem to be going wrong, that means you're about to do something right. So we just invite that now in this time. We pray that anything that we are coming into this conversation with, we are willing to let that go for the sake of taking into it whatever you're looking for. So guide our words and guide our thoughts. And we just thank you that you do work through conversations. You do work through our words, whether they're polished or not. And you could do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine. So we give you this time. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. And we look forward to seeing how you work. As we pray in most holy name, amen. Amen. All right, Vernon. Well, I'm glad I'm able to see and hear you. We hit some snags with technology, but here we are. Yes. And I'm excited to see where the conversation will go. One way I like to start off is to give guests a quick and easy way to share about themselves, but in a fun way. So the way I've been doing that is coming up with random prompts for how to introduce yourself. But here's what came in my head for you. Okay. You're a recovery coach, right? Yes. I want you to imagine that I'm at the store and I see this pack of recovery coach trading cards. And I'm like, I didn't even know this was a thing. And I open it up. And I'm scrolling through, there's all these recovery coaches and I come across the Vernon card and I'm like, oh man, this looks like a good card. I turn it around and it's got your bio on the back. What does the Vernon recovery coach trading card say? Wow. Now that was good. (laughs) (laughs) It was out there, Paul. What does this say? Oh man. It would have to say a person with perseverance, right? Mm person that life shows up, you know, and he in the process of learning how to let things go and get out of God's way and stay out of his way. And it's a long process, you know, person who believed that life was all about him Hmm. and only come to find out his own life is not even about him, but it's about how you can take your life and help other people. Hmm. And, and really that's what it's about, just getting out of his way. And that's what 
That's what my bio will say. This this guy just struggled. He liked to think everything is about him and he he wants things to go his way all the time. And if it don't, he pouts and he kick and he try to manipulate life to go to this fixed idea that's in his mind. Mm-hmm. Only find out that God is in control. And you just gotta just sit back. But that's what I would think it would say, getting out of God's way and staying out of his way. I love it. I love it. I'm taking the card. I'm putting it in the sleeve, putting it in the drawer to keep it safe. It's going to be worth something one day. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much of what you've already said that I really appreciate and that really resonates with so many of the conversations that I've had during this healing season and and most notably this idea of journey, that it's a continuing ongoing thing. And so I don't know much about you, but what I have gathered is that you've been on quite a journey. And so, man, I just want to toss the figurative mic over to you. Mm -hmm. You know, when it comes to this idea of healing and when you're thinking of your own story and when you're thinking of recovery and when you're thinking of this realization of who God is that you understand now that you didn't before, man, tell me the story of how you got to where you are today. Wow. Yeah, it was a journey and it's a continuous journey. You know, I grew up, I'm the youngest child, Five brothers, one sister grew up with not knowing my father. Okay. Didn't know that that had an effect on me, Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't know this as a child because, you know, majority of people in my neighborhood, you know, grew up without a father. And that's kind of like norm. But only to find out years later that had an effect on my belief system and how I navigated through life. I grew up like that with that belief system that. I'm okay without a father. So at a very young age, I began to suppress, mm. suppress my true feelings and go into denial. Okay. I, I'm okay. I got a mother. My mother is a father and a provider. I don't need no father. And this is, you know, this is something I believe in. You know, so as I was growing up, Paul, some of my friends would be like, well, V, I got to hold up for a minute. I got to go fishing with my father. Mm. And then I remember those feelings as I walked home with my head downcast. But I was always smart, okay? And I was always athletic. So what I began to do, I began to use my skills to get people to like me. Even though I was naturally talented, God had gifted me to be smart and to be athletic, but I would use that for attention, okay? Mm -hmm. And so now, again, I'm going outside myself looking for something to validate me. And I'm just a kid, so I'm always excelling when I'm getting that, Paul. Mm-hmm. Just always excelling. And everything, I, you know, my mother and my aunt say, everything this boy touched turned to gold, <laughs> you know, and I'm always excelling. But if I'm not doing something, if I'm not succeeding, I felt bored. Mm-hmm. I felt like something was missing. And, you know, I got to say, Paul, through my whole life, no matter what I achieved, there was always something missing. There was always just something, no matter what I got in life, there was something always missing. So, you know, my brothers, they drunk. So in my environment, you're a product of your environment. So at a very young age, seventh grade, I began to drink. Mm. I began to drink and, you know, drinking hard liquor. And then I began to smoke marijuana, but I'm still excelling. But I got this secret now. I got this other life now. You know, and I, and then I used to justify it, Paul, by saying, well, I do everything my mother say. I get good grades. I can go have a drink. Don't know nothing about what it's doing to me. I'm talking about a kid 12 years old drinking 
hard liquor, smoking marijuana. Now looking back, you can see that's not normal, mm -hmm. but it was normal for me. So anyway, so I began to drink, drink, drink. Then, you know, the harder drugs came out, began to take that. And then next thing you know, I began to go down. And what I mean by go down, I got married, I had kids. My first marriage was, you know, 16 years. But she always asked me, why every time you drink, you got to get drunk? Mm. And my, my answer used to be, what's the purpose of drinking if you're not going to get drunk? Now, during this whole time, Paul, my mother is always talking about Jesus. Mm. Okay? She's always talking about Jesus. So, so then this whole thing, she always, I'm always hearing about him, you know, <laughs> you know, the Bible is a, it theoretically, it sounds real good, but I hear it's a totally different world, mom. You know, she leaves scriptures on my bed. Mm. She leaves scriptures on the refrigerator. So mom was always talking. So I'm always hearing about it. You know, I'm always hearing about it. So anyway, long story short, one time she told me, Paul, she said, Vernon, always remember, no matter what goes on in your life. No matter how low you get, no matter what you do, and if the world don't receive you, you can always call on his name, and he's going to hear you, and he's going to help you. Mm -hmm. So she planted a seed in me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it. So my ex-wife finally had enough was enough. She put me out, and when she put me out, I spiraled down, you know, because I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to accept the reality of my addiction. Right. It finally had caught up with me. Okay, so I spiraled down. I'm talking about losing everything. Corporate America job, I lost that. You know, my kids wasn't hardly speaking to me because I became a lost soul. I didn't know what to do. I had lost myself in addiction. Mm -hmm. So I no longer can perform no more. So I don't have no identity no more. You know, so I'm sitting there and I'm in my apartment. And then I just remember what my mother said. I had been up using drugs three or four days, haven't even slept. Mm -hmm. I just remember and I said, Jesus, help me. You know, I said, Jesus, help me. And I fell asleep to a deep sleep. I slept days. And anyway, when I woke up, God was already working in my life. He started sending people that send recovery my way. I didn't know this. Mm. You know, looking back, you learn a lot looking back. He started sending people. And it's just one recovering that he kept reaching out for me, kept trying to help me. I kept justifying why I'm doing what I'm doing. He just kept trying to help me. I thought something was wrong with him. I said, this guy don't know me, but God has sent him to help me. Then he finally took me to the Salvation Army. Now, the Salvation Army was nothing but a community away, Paul. Mm -hmm. It seemed like it was in another country for me getting there, but he set me there. When I entered the Salvation Army, that's where I had my relationship and experience with Christ. Okay. Remember, I said something was always missing. So now I'm reading the word. I'm praying. I'm feeling his presence. I'm like, okay, hold on. This ain't about no religion thing. This is real. This is a real relationship. I'm experiencing it. So now one day I go outside after we had breakfast. And, you know, I sat there, Paul. And I told this guy, another guy out there with me, and I was just doing the evaluation of my life. I said, I don't have nothing. I said, I don't have no home no more. I don't have a job. I don't have a car. I just started naming all things that the world said that to make you feel all right with you, you need to have. And I'm just naming all these things, Paul. And I'm like, I don't have nothing. I said, but I'm at peace. Hmm. And the thing that I did have, was a relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's it. That's what I've been looking for. 
And so I had this awakening. I said, that's it. So God, in the, he, you know, he in the restoring business. He's he going to restore you. He's going to bring everything back. Now life looks totally different, Paul. Mm-hmm. Oh, it looks different, man. I get a new wife. It looks different. Mm-hmm. I got a home. You know, she, she got three kids. And I'm a family bigger. Everything bigger now and brighter. And, I, and it got a meaning. I love my home, but I know where the home comes from. Mm-hmm. I love my wife, but I know where the wife comes from. I love everything that I'm doing. I love this podcast and being <laughs> interviewed, but I know who's behind all this. Yeah. You know, so now I can walk. I can just walk in my truth and just be who I am. And share my story. And once I started beginning to share my story, because I used to hold back, the guy told me one, he said, no, I want you to share everything with people. Mm-hmm. Share it. Help free people. Right? So now I began to share my story. And they're like, oh, man, how do you share that? I'm like, don't be me. That be God. But that's how I came about to where I'm at. I started a podcast and I just bless people just by just sharing how good he is. And here's the thing about it before I pass it to you, <laughs> Paul, is that during this whole time, you think you chose God. I did. I thought I chose God. Mm-hmm. Only to find out he chose me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just waking up to him. Yeah. But yeah, that's how I got here. Yeah. That's really good. I appreciate you sharing it. I appreciate also that you're recognizing God's invitation for you to keep sharing that story and the power that comes from sharing, because that's just one of the most beautiful ways that God works. Yeah. Like he could just put information in our head, but because he's chosen for us to be a part of community and to experience him as community, he uses the community to share who he is. Yes. And now you're a part of that. And what I particularly love about your story and about having this conversation with you is (laughs) I was kind of blindsided with God bringing addiction as a significant part of the way that he's inviting me to serve Mm -hmm. because I've personally never, you know, wrestled with substance abuse addiction. I've never even smoked weed before, right? Like, (laughs) and yet, in the last few years, some of the closer relationships that I built in my community have been with folks who are wrestling with significant addictions. Mm -hmm. One of my friends of the last 10 years has constantly relapsing back into, particularly with crack, Mm -hmm. alcohol, so forth. And there are moments where I recognize there's a very clear relationship that God has built here, an authentic relationship. Mm -hmm. This isn't like ministry worker. Like this is someone who came and started talking to me on my porch or someone that was my neighbor and we just built a friendship. And the one that I was mentioning even asked if I wanted to be his sponsor. I'm like, am I allowed to be your sponsor? (laughs) Because I've never experienced. (laughs) And and what I'm getting at is, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, why is it that God's positioned me in this space to be in relationship? Because I haven't experienced what he's experiencing. And what I've come to realize is one of our big challenges in how we can live out loving others Mm -hmm. is we really struggle with the issue of identity. So you said it at the end of your story, you're like, I'm able to live out who I am. Right. But prior to that, you had a lot of other ideas of who you were. Other people had ideas of who you were. And in the worst of moments, somebody could look at somebody in the midst of addiction and just see them as an addict as a drunk, like an identity statement Mm -hmm. and whatever they think an addict is, whatever they think a drunk is, they attach all that to you. Whereas your mom Mm -hmm. saw you as her son, (laughs) right? Like that your identity was her child and everything that that attaches to it, the unconditional love and 
she was pointing you to a heavenly father who also saw you as his child and did not see you as addict or drunk. And so this identity piece is so powerful. When we see people as made in the image of God, Mm -hmm. it changes how we interact with them. So this conversation is so important. Tell me more about this identity piece, because I feel like that's something that God wants anybody listening to this to understand how we misidentify people in the midst of struggles like what you described. Yeah, the identity, losing my identity, that's where it all started from. Not knowing who I am. To to help you out on this point is that I actually remember God telling me that, right? And what I mean is that one time having a conversation, because I pray and I actually listen to him too. And I, you know, I try to hear him through people, through whatever. And actually one time during meditation, he told me, he said, Vernon, drugs is not your problem. Okay, you growing up without your father is not your problem. You growing up in the ghetto, you whatever, everything that you think is your problem, that's not your problem. I remember going to God and said, well, God, what's my problem? (laughs) He said, the problem is, Vernon, you don't know who you are. And it was just that you don't know who you are. You haven't accepted who you are. So you see, when it comes to addiction, people think, like you said, Addicts, they got a perception of what an addict is. They got a perception of what addiction is. They think addiction is drugs. It got something to do. No, it can be. I can be addicted to pornography. I can be addicted to reading. I can be addicted to being right. Mm-hmm. I can be addicted to believing everything I tell myself. Don't want to be open to nobody but myself. I can get addicted to that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's just a form of escaping reality. And I remember I used to have a conversation with my mother once I got clean. And, you know, me and her having coffee one time. And, and she said she never was really concerned that much about me. I said, Ma, I was out there struggling. <laughs> well, she said, Vernon, <laughs> she said, I gave you the God. Mm. That's what she said. She said, I gave you the God. And I used to hear her. I used to hear her crying mm. a lot through my addiction. But, Paul, I have to tell you and the listeners, I heard her praying more than I heard her crying. Mm. She cried a lot, but I heard her praying a lot. You know, she said, I gave you to God. And then, you know, it's funny what you said, what you said is that when she said, I knew my son, you wasn't my son in active addiction. She said, that was, she said, I know my child. That's wasn't him. And so she never identified the addict part as her child. She said, my son is somewhere in there, you know? Yeah. And I can go back and I can tell you, I got to share this story with you, Paul. Years ago, I was like, this when I first started, I 12, 13 years old. I got my basketball, football, whatever, I was leaving. And I remember my mother saying, this when I first started, okay? Now, my mother had already used to drink before I was born, so she knew the signs of people drinking, yeah. okay? I'm leaving the home. She said, Vernon, when you go outside, she said, Tell my son I'm looking for him. Mm. So I thought she was talking about my brother, Keith. I had just seen him around the corner. I said, I just seen him. I, I tell him, are you on? She said, no. She said, his name is Vernon. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm about 13 years old. And I'm like, mom, tripping. So I walk out and I leave. So anyway, I go through. Now, listen, I'm about 12, 13 now. Now, now to go through this marriage, I get put out. I'm back with my mother. We build a relationship. We get connected, and as I get clean, now I'm about 38, 39 years old now. I'm leaving again, 
and she's sitting in the kitchen, and I'm walking, going to pick up my kids, and she said, Vernon, same scenario, I'm right by the door. I turn around, guess what she say, Paul? Hmm. Thanks for finding my son. <laughs> and my tear just came down my yeah. eye. I said, you remember that? She said, yeah, I remember that. You know? Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is that we get lost. Mothers know when a child is lost. And a lot of times we want to beat people up because of what they're doing. But really, Paul, they're lost. Mm-hmm. The majority of people out there using drugs, they don't want to use drugs. They just don't know no other way. Life shows up. They do what they usually do. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't want to feel. So what they do, they go put something, we call it putting something on top of it. Mm-hmm. You know, addicts use drugs because they don't want to feel. Yeah. So they want to put something that they want to they, they want to camouflage it, suppress it. So we use drugs when they find out the problem is still there. Or we steal, or we pornography, or whatever we do. We just don't want to be able to feel. And you know, that identity is real big, but the people around you. They know who you really are. Mm-hmm. We're the type of people that we got an image of ourselves, but the people closest to you, they see you for who you really are. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's a that's a powerful story with your mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 20 yeah. some year story. Yeah. yeah, that's that's I love that. You know, it really taps into something that I think it's just hilarious the way that God works, because Last night, I released an episode with someone who works in the social work realm with foster children and human trafficking, and Mm. they're looking into tapping into some other areas like homelessness and addiction, because what they found is that without healthy community, that leaves somebody vulnerable Yes, and then can open the door, like you said, to these situations where we just put stuff on top. Mm -hmm. And the episode ended up being focused on this idea that God is fully capable of just healing somebody like that. And yet, for some reason, he often chooses to invite others into the process of healing a person. And so your mom was used by God as part of your healing process. I feel like there's something really important here around, you know, what you have experienced and now what you're doing. You have experienced the importance of knowing your identity, but also recognizing how you can grow and recognizing the identity of others as you walk alongside them. Mm -hmm. But as we mentioned, it's really common for the everyday person to look at somebody and make a broad sweep about their issues. Or let's say they try to love, but the person relapses. Well, and they're like, well, I guess they just don't care. I guess they just don't want to get better. We can make these broad sweeps. Mm -hmm. You know, you started this whole conversation talking about it being a long journey. If God is calling us to love someone who is in the midst of recovery or in the midst of addiction, how do we actually love someone in that space? Wow. Okay. That's in the midst of addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. First of all, you have to try to learn what addiction is, I believe. Mm -hmm. Get educated. That's just like somebody that's dealing with depression. Okay. If you don't really know how depression is, you can cause more harm Mm -hmm. than anything. Matter of fact, I'll get honest. I was one of my wife, you know, suffered with, and she don't mind me saying it. She said, you can, you know, let people know, but I didn't know. I didn't know. So I used to cause a lot of harm, but I seek help. And once I seek help, now I know how to deal with her, mm-hmm. you know, and be there for. And that's the same way with addiction, right? A lot of people want to help their child or help their mother or, or father, whoever brother that's dealing with addiction, but causing harm. You causing an addict harm when you giving the addict money and justifying it, saying, well, he's going to get it anywhere. But that's not <laughs> that's not the answer. You know, you don't you don't give an addict money. 
I don't care if they beg, they you don't give a using addict money, but you have to learn these things and, you know, try to seek help. Understand that they're in denial at first, that there are stages that they go through, you know, they're in denial, but an addict, and this is a real big one. You must understand too, an addict, no matter what you do, if they want to use drugs, they're going to use drugs. An addict, is not going to stop using drugs until he or she have made a decision to stop using drugs. It's an admission that we must make on ourselves. I don't care how much help, I had all type of help. People were trying to help me all type, I wanted to get high. Mm-hmm. It was only until I came to my own conclusion, say, you know what, it's over, God help me. And that's really what it takes, you know? Mm-hmm. And during that whole process, now we just talking about to stop using drugs, Paul. That's all I mean you've been talking about. So mm-hmm. that's just the beginning. We're <laughs> yeah. not even talking about the recovery part. Yeah. We're talking about, okay, Vernon, you stop using drugs. Okay, good for you. But I still have the behaviors. I still have the belief system. I still have the perception and perspective of an addict. Mm-hmm. And you cannot use drugs and still be an addict with, with the way you think. Because the core of an uh, of an addict is total self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. So if you think everything is about you, you got to be able to be open, you know. So what, what I'm getting at, Paul, is that we know that drugs took me to the 12-step recovery program, mm-hmm. okay? That's what happened. I, I became, I hit bottom. I went to the 12-step recovery program. Now they have something called the 12 steps. And the 12 steps teaches you what took you to the drugs. Mm. That's the recovery part. Mm-hmm. It's a difference, Paul, from not using drugs and recovering. Mm-hmm. You know, and God is about recovery. Mm-hmm. He's about recovery. Think about it. I mean, why did he send Jesus? He sent Jesus to recover his people. You know, I mean, everything God was doing, he, he always got a plan to get his people back. Mm-hmm. He always trying to recover something. I don't care if he told Noah, was like, look, build this ark. He wanted to save something. He always in the process of saving his people. He always want to recover them back, bring them back to him. It's always about coming back to him. Come back to me. You know, and that's what recovery is all about. It's about coming back to God. Because really, that's what I'm doing. I'm just going back to my maker. Yeah. And you said two things that I think are really important that push against really hard, push really hard against the ways that people understand what the purpose and goal is of loving in these situations. Because if somebody is in a situation where they feel like God's inviting them to love somebody who is in the midst of addiction, the default belief is that the goal is to get them to stop using, is the goal is to break the addiction. But you said two things. One, you said, if the person's going to use, like you can't stop them from using. So if, if that's true, then it's a foolish goal to say, I'm going to, I'm going to stop them. I'm going to get them to stop being addicted. I'm going to, right. But the other thing you said is you went way back to where God was trying to tell you, look, your problem is not alcohol. Your problem is not drugs. Your problem is you don't know who I've made you to be. Yes. And so what this means then is if we are willing to step into these spaces of loving others, as God's called us, we've actually got to pump the brakes a little bit and let God confront us on what is it that we're trying to do? What is it that we're trying to accomplish? What does success look like? Because if success looks like somebody is free from addiction, well, when that person relapses Mm -hmm. or when recovery is long and hard, we're going to lose patience and we're going to start assuming they don't care 
or we're going to start assuming we didn't do something right, or we're going to start assuming that God must not exist. Yeah. When in reality, you've described something that is just true in scripture as well. These things are journeys. Yeah. And the end goal is not being fixed. It's being God's belonging to God. Yes. Let's say someone gets that right. Let's say someone, all right, I've studied up on addiction. I love, by the way, you bringing up the depression piece that if you don't understand depression, you can go to someone who's depressed and say, hey, just smile, yes. just be happy. Yes. And like, right, like done work. But if you understand depression, you recognize, okay, I can't just tell someone to turn it off and turn it on. Let's say somebody studies up on addiction. They realize, oh, wow, there's actually a lot of stuff going on in the brain. Yes. There's a lot of stuff that's happening that the person can't actually control. All right. Let's say they do that. Let's say they get to a place where they're like, all right, I'm I'm willing to love. I'm willing to confront my assumptions of how they need to be fixed or how I'm supposed to fix them. I'm willing to put that down. Okay. And let's say they start walking, right? And then it's a long, hard journey, right? So what would you say to someone who is willingly stepping into that place and it's starting to feel too long and too hard and they're starting to feel like, I don't know if I have the capacity to keep loving like this. You know, uh, Paul, you have some good questions. <laughs> you do. I, you know, and all I can think of is my own experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll be thinking like, you know, so I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm pondering on that question. It's an okay place to be yeah. because dealing with a person that's an addict or have an addiction is it's a lifelong process. You're going to be dealing with this person. Or, you know, there's a loved one for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And what I'm getting at, Paul, a lot of people go to the hospital. They, they have a sickness. Usually they go to the hospital. The doctor diagnoses them. They give them medicine. You know, they keep them. Then when they leave, sometimes, a lot of times, sickness is gone. Here's one thing with an addict. You can take me to the hospital. You can put me in recovery. You can put me in church. You can not give me no drugs. No matter where I go, I'm still an addict. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, my disease is going to always be with me. There is no cure for it. Okay. And what I mean by disease, there's a certain process, the way we think. Addicts have a certain way we think. And, and the core of it is total self-centeredness. We believe that the whole world revolves around us. And also to add to that, you were talking about that love part is loving myself. You have to teach addicts how to love themselves because at the core of it is self-centeredness, but also at the core of it is lack of self-acceptance. Mm. A lot of addicts go through guilt and shame, okay? They go through guilt of what they did in active addiction or whatever. Then they go through shame on who they become. We have a negative self-talk about ourselves. We believe what we tell ourselves. And when we tell ourselves we know good, it's hard for a person to help someone like that. You have to keep and you have to keep feeding them positive things. My sponsor had to keep telling me that Vernon, you're worthy. You're worthy. Mm. You're worth. I couldn't believe I didn't believe it because all I remember is my daughter being in the window, you know, and her mother trying to get her out the window. And she's like, my daddy coming back. And I knew I wasn't coming back. My ex-wife knew I wasn't coming back. But my daughter sat in that window. Mm. My daddy coming. Those things never leave you. Yeah. So you need you need to be around the, the cure is to put person around other people mm -hmm. who understand them. And who is that? other recovering addicts. Mm -hmm. We are worldwide. 
we need to be around each other because people who think normal, they don't understand us. See, I could talk to you right now, get off the podcast with you and go tell somebody not to recover. I feel like robbing a bank and they'll look at me crazy. Now I can call a person recovery. That, that makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. You know, because we live, our whole foundation, Paul, and what's taking place in the recovery process, my whole foundation, when I took you back, I built that life based on the foundation of fear, Mm. okay? It was was self-centered fear, you know, fear of where would I be, you know, without a father. So everything was just based on fear. Now, when I turned my life over to God, he's chiseling away my foundation. And he said, Vern, we have to build this on love. And that's a process. So my foundation, you know, God was talking about that foundation, build your house. You, you know the scripture says, so when life shows up, it, it can move a little bit, but it's not going to blow down. And, that's, and that foundation is love. So mm-hmm. you have to get to the core of a person. That, and you got to teach them how to accept themselves and most importantly, forgive themselves. That's the hardest part in my recovery process. Yeah. You know, as you're talking about this fear and love, it makes me think of the verse that says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Yeah. And yet we so often operate in fear and, and we'll hear fear and be like, oh, I'm not afraid. I'm not a fearful person. But like we are operating in fear when we are trying to protect our lives from being changed or we're trying to protect <laughs> ourselves from this happening or that happening. Like we are afraid of losing control. We are afraid of being looked at as less than. We are afraid of all these things. We are constantly operating out of fear and understandably so, because there are risks in life. If you are in a position of showing love to someone like you described, that's in the midst of addiction and that is going to use it, they want to use. And like you you said, you know, don't give them money because, you know, it's like (laughs) you could be afraid of how do I even love? Because what if they take advantage of my love or what if it doesn't change anything? And we end up no longer loving, but actually fearing. And You know, there's the other passage that it made me think of as you were talking is this really is a hard, hard thing that we're being invited to by God. So the first thing is your mom set a good example Mm -hmm. of she lived in that tension of both being heartbroken and crying. But like you said, but you heard her praying more than you heard her crying. Put another way, I think what she most likely came to realize is that she could not do it on her own, that she needed God in this, that it had to be God that did the work, not her being a perfect mom yeah. or being super mom. So that's the first thing is we need God in order to step into these spaces of love. Yes. But the other thing is it's, it's going to cost us in another way because the other challenge we hit, and a lot of Christians, a lot of churches, a lot of ministries fall into this trap of it starts off as love, mm-hmm. but it turns into something very different because in our minds, we have a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm helping this person in a bad situation. I'm not an addict, so I'm in a better place and I'm going to pull them up. When you made the point earlier, addiction can take a lot of forms. Yeah. And you name some things that most people listen to be like, oh, I, I do. Mm-hmm. I am addicted to that. Right. right. And so it makes me think of the example that Christ gave. And it says in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, mm-hmm. in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Mm -hmm. In other words, Jesus literally was up here and we're all down here. Mm -hmm. And his act of love, his expression of loving was to give up all that and to come down and not just come down into a rough place, but to be insulted to be beaten and to be killed Mm -hmm. and to be misrepresented. And man, oh man, we don't like that kind of love. Like we want our love to be the type that we step in and maybe it's a little hard, but then things get fixed. But if we're called to love in a space where maybe we are taken advantage of, maybe we are distrusted, maybe we are hurt and hurt and hurt and hurt. Yes. We don't, we don't want that. So what does it look like for you to learn to love more as Christ loved? It's long suffering. You know, when you love and like Christ, it's getting out of his way. And I like how you use that an example, because that's a trap. If you don't know yourself, Paul, you can cause harm trying to help an addict, not just by giving them money, you can get to a point that when you don't know yourself, you can actually get lost and make it about you. Mm. It's, it no longer become about that person. If you don't know the pride that you have, if you don't know the arrogance that you have, if you don't know the, the motives that you have behind it, you could be helping a person and all of a sudden become a codependent mm. and be obsessed with helping a person, another form of addiction. Mm-hmm. Another form of addiction. Get caught up because you might want people to see you. So I help Vernon. I help him get off. You have to know yourself when you're helping people. It's okay to reach down to help somebody, but don't allow them to pull you down. They might don't pull you down to addiction, but they can pull you down to self-righteousness. You have to stay connected to Christ and helping people. You have to Mm -hmm. because you can't do it by yourself. You can't even help yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't even help yourself. So how are you going to help somebody else? You know, and now you got to realize that the addict, they got all these demons. They have demons. Yes, they, yes, they have demons. It, it ain't just about no addiction, Paul. Mm-hmm. I can share a story with you. Like, matter of fact, it was the last time I used drugs. The last time I used drugs, I was sitting there by myself using drugs. And all of a sudden, my left side just started hurting. Mm-hmm. Right. Then, then my arms start tingling. I started gasping for air. Then I just start slowly, slowly, slowly going down onto the floor. But here's the thing about it, Paul. When I first, because I had, I had a little clean time, when I first put the drugs in me, mm-hmm. I actually felt, I actually felt the spirit, the Holy Spirit leave me. Oh, wow. That's, that, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. The thing that got me is that I felt demons enter me. Mm. Now, you know, I don't know a verbatim. There's a scripture that actually describes this. It talks about demons. They go get other, mm-hmm. other demons. That seven come. more. Yeah, seven <laughs> more. I actually experienced that. So I talked to people who understand it. And I was laying there and I was laying on the ground. I couldn't breathe. And I remember laying on the floor and I was like, well, this is how it's going to end. Mm. I mean, I just, I couldn't hardly breathe. And then also I started slowly getting my breath back. Then I got up, then I, you know, my arms stopped tingling. And I'm gonna tell you about addiction, Paul. Now look, basically I just faced death. That's what happened. I just faced death. 
I still had drugs there. Mm. Guess what I did? Mm. I continue to use drugs. That didn't stop me. Yeah. So, so if coming close to death don't stop a person from using, how is a mother going to stop me from using? Mm. You know, how is my father, my children? You can't stop me. I just almost experienced death. Yeah. And I still continue to use drugs. Okay? But here's the thing. When I finally went to recovery, the first recovering addict, when he seen me, he said, welcome back. And he pulled me to the side. He said, man, ask you something, Vernon. How many chances... Do you think God going to give you to get this? And now notice what I just experienced. And he's saying this, like, I'm like, okay. And I haven't used it. <laughs> 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 and I haven't used since, you know. But this, yeah, this thing, it, when I'm getting that, Paul, this thing is bigger than the person. Yeah, It's a warfare that's taking place. Okay, that we can't see it. And you know what prompted me to say this when you were talking about my mother? And my mother actually said what she said. She said, I knew I couldn't do it. Yeah. I had to give you to somebody, right, that I knew can help you. Yeah. You know, and it was God. Yep. Yeah. No, that's good. You know, so what we're talking about then is it keeps coming back to love. Mm-hmm. And it keeps coming back to the reality that we don't actually understand what love is yeah. and we're not capable of doing love on our own. Mm-hmm. And we need God in order to love because what he's inviting us to is not to go and fix these broken people. Yeah. What he's inviting us to is to love his children made in his image. Yeah. And those are two very different things, right? Yeah. Part of the way that we can confront this in ourselves is when we are finding ourselves in these situations to be able to take this sentence and fill in the blank at the end. So. I am loving because dot, dot, dot. And if we're honest, sometimes our answer to that is, I am loving because this person's in a bad situation and I want to fix it. Okay. Or to what you said around the codependency, I'm loving because it makes me feel really good when I love someone mm-hmm. and they get better, mm-hmm. right? Or I'm loving because if I don't, what's going to happen? And I'm, lo- and I'm loving because this person will be healed, right? But the answer to that sentence The last part of it, based on scripture, is really because that's what God's called me to do. Yeah. And it's not based on what are the results going to be or how am I going to feel about it or how are they going to feel about it? Because people did not feel good about Jesus's love. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. The Apostle Paul served in some ways. He said, I planted a seed, Apollos watered it and God made it grow, which means there were ways that he loved that he didn't see the fruit of. So. Mm -hmm. Our call to love is not contingent on what we're capable of, That's good. on That's good. what the results are going to be, on how we feel about it or how they feel about it. It's based on God saying, hey, here's your commandment. Love me and love others. Yes. That's it. That's it. And we don't, we, we're not responsible for the outcome. Mm-hmm. We're not responsible for the outcome. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I'm glad you share that scripture. A lot of times, a part of my job is just planting seed. Yeah. Planting seed. It's not to fix this person, just plant a seed mm-hmm. to tell you that God loves you. I mean, think about, you know, how many times, you know, when I first started this, I kept saying my mother just was telling me things, mm-hmm. but I didn't know it was penetrating. Right. I, you know, I was doing what I want to do. But evidently, it got through. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes, you know, and that's what sharing the story is because people can relate. Yeah. to honest sharing. Yeah. You see, I'm not sharing no theory. Mm-hmm. I'm sharing, I done been through this. I didn't experience God. I didn't experience my life without God. Yeah. I shared that. I was lost, looking for identity. 
Then I, now I'm experiencing my life with Christ. Yeah. And now basically my life with Christ is not about me. Yeah. It's, it's not about me. I want you to take your story and share with other people. Yeah. And that, that's a hard concept to grab. Like, no, your life isn't about you. Your life is to help other people. Yeah based on, you know, what you have experienced. And that's, it took me a while to grab that, you know. Yeah. You know what you said, put this line in my head. I'm like, oh man, I hope I don't lose this. We underestimate the power of seeds, Mm -hmm. which is funny, which is really funny for Christians because seeds are all over scripture, right? (laughs) Right. Like the, the faith of a mustard seed, like this idea of a small thing becoming big, our mentality is the only way things get better is big stuff, yeah. big programs, big entities, this, that, and the other. Your mom's little seed she planted mm-hmm. resulted in abundantly more than she could have even asked or imagined, yeah. right? We think we are incapable sometimes. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not loving enough. I'm not it's this, 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 this is enough. All God's saying is, look, just one little seed. Watch what I could do with it. You see what I did with the five loaves and two fish? Yes. Show this one act of love to this person that normally you may make assumptions about. Mm-hmm. One act of love. Make eye contact with them. Say hi. Learn their name. One little act. Yes. You'd be surprised at what that little seed can do. And we are all capable of throwing out these little seeds. But if we underestimate the power of what God can do with that little bit, yes. then we're never going to step in. Never. We're never going to step never. in. Never. And it'd be little yeah. things like that. You, that right there, you, that statement you just made remind me when I went to a meeting one time and an older member, he called me by my name. And I still, and I, t- and I share this all the time, what that meant to me. Yeah. I mean, from a person that coming from despair, a, cur- a per- you got to realize when, when an addict can have hit bottom, Paul, they, we talking about, first you're already losing your identity. Now you out there, people calling you all type of name, your addict. Your, your heroin head, your crack head, you lose your identity that way. You begin to believe that thing subconsciously. You're like, well, I am a loser. Yeah. Then when somebody say something like, hi, Vernon, mm-hmm. just saying your name, like, he he know my name. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm important enough that he remember my name. Mm-hmm. And, and it's little stuff like it's building people's self-esteem. Yeah. You know, you have to build people. And that's what God, you know, that's part of love. Mm-hmm. Build, encouraging them. You can be better. Mm-hmm. You can do better. Well, my mama was in jail. That's okay. You can still live. My daddy, he never ran. That's okay. And you just love on people. And then what does that look like to me? Just accepting them mm-hmm. right where they at. Yeah. Not how, not, not this preconception of how I want you to be, Paul. For right where you at. You're homeless you right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's love to me because that's what God done with me, except me right where I was at. Yeah. 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 Man, Vernon, I, I just want to keep on talking and talking and talking, but, but I got to stop. And so I got, <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got two final questions. Okay. And they're just straightforward things. The first one is if anyone wanted to connect with you or with what you're doing, what's the best way to do that? I'll have to say email. You can email me at that Christian in recovery at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram, that Christian out of order. And you can find me on Twitter, recovery underscore that. But yeah, email me that Christian in recovery at gmail.com. 
Mm-hmm. That's great. And oh yeah, I'm also on my website. Got <laughs> my website, Sick and Tired Recovery. That's mm-hmm. if you want to think about getting a life coach and recovery. Um, you know, we can set up a free consultation. Sickandrecovery.com. That's my website. Go check it out. I love it. And then my last question is, is there anything else in your heart or mind that you want to share before we go? <sighs> Man, this was uh this was a this was this was a good one. I've been interviewed a lot. This was you asked some good questions, you know, some heartfelt questions. No, I really don't. We pretty much covered it, man. That, but if one thing came to mind that if you really want to help someone that's dealing with addiction, seek some type of recovery, whether it's 12 steps, whether it's a Christian program, to help them, try to introduce them to people who understand them. They need to be around. That's one thing about us. We need to be around the people who understand us. I think that's what the best thing I would say. read again that passage from Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. I love this passage for so many reasons, but I especially love that it came up in this conversation on addiction, because the reality is so many of us, including those of us who profess to follow Christ, do not take on the mindset of Christ in our relationships with those who are in the midst of addiction. Whereas Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, we struggle with humility, and we definitely struggle to become obedient even to the point of discomfort. Jesus knew what it meant to love others no matter what their situation, no matter their willingness to change. He showed love. And we constantly judge others. And this hits me particularly hard because as I mentioned at the start, there are many people that I care about, that are in the midst of addiction. And I have seen them be unloved. I've seen them be judged. I've seen them be mistreated. And don't get me wrong, there have been times where they have made some very hurtful and destructive decisions. So I get that this is tricky. I get that there is a tension here. I get that there are boundaries that need to be drawn. But that's actually not what we're talking about. We're talking about this very tricky element that's in the midst, love. Love doesn't mean letting somebody get away with something. Love doesn't mean dismissing the wrongs of somebody. Love means something very different. Because Jesus loved even as others were persecuting him. Somehow, because we have been called to love, we can love even when somebody is in the midst of their hardest moments, their most broken moments, their worst and most destructive decisions. Vernon's mom loved him, even when he was most resistant to that love. And she was not afraid for him because she had given him to God. 
And she knew God loved him more than she ever could. She knew her limitations, and she knew God was unlimited. Vernon's story is so important because what you hear on this end is someone full of joy with a beautiful heart who is seeking God. But if you had met Vernon 10, 20, 30 years ago, you wouldn't have thought the same thing about him. And you may have written him off not knowing who God was building him to be. You may have withheld love not knowing what God was doing in Vernon's life. Our tendency to judge, our lack of humility, can actually stifle the healing that God is inviting us to participate in. Vernon's right. We need God. Vernon's mom was right. We need God. All of this healing stuff, we need God. And yet he is inviting us to participate. And to do so, we have to humbly love. In all of our relationships with one another, we have to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So here's your challenge. Think of that hard relationship. Think of that person who's been in the same struggle over and over and over and over. Think of your mindset in the midst of that, what your gut reaction is, what your thoughts are. And then think of what Christ's mindset is. What mindset have you seen Christ demonstrate throughout scripture? And put all that together. Look at that person and then have the same mindset of Christ, who with humility did not seek his own gain, but was obedient even to the point of death. And God did something amazing through it because death wasn't the end of the story. And death doesn't have to be the end of the story for you and that person you're thinking of. You have the opportunity to love in an exciting and new way if you are willing. So think of that person, take on the mindset of Christ, and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group, and you will love listening to the rest of the music, so check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?